Well, hello, Riverstone Church. Uh, would you pray with me as we prepare to look at the Word of God together this morning? Father, in Jesus' name, sanctify us in the truth. Your Word is truth. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to two passages in the New Testament that we'll be looking at today, Hebrews 13 and 1 Thessalonians 5. Hebrews 13 and 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, last week, we started a new series that we've called, I Will Build My Church, obviously referencing Jesus' statement in Matthew 16. And uh, in this series, we're exploring what the Bible has to say about the nature and purpose of the local church. See, a local church is not just uh, any group of Christians that get together for, for any purpose. There are certain things that have to be uh, present in order for a church to be a church. And, and, and so we, we want to be looking at what does the Bible say those things are and how can we be faithful to that as a local church. So to help guide us through this series, we, we introduced last week a definition of a local church, to try to be comprehensive in our understanding. And this is what we said. A local church is a community of believers in Jesus Christ who commit to one another to gather regularly under biblically qualified leadership for the worship of God, the ministry of the Word, the celebration of the ordinances, the practice of discipleship and discipline, and the fellowship of the saints in order to glorify God and to make disciples of all nations. There's a lot there. We're certainly not asking you to memorize that. And, and we're going to be taking little bites of it as we go through, through this series. Uh, but today we're just going to start by looking at that first part of the definition, which ultimately answers the question, who is the church? Notice that the question is, who is the church? Not what is the church? Because the church is not a program, it's a people. This isn't always obvious to us because we often associate the word uh, church with an institution. But the Greek word that we translate as church might be better translated for, for, for our purposes as the word congregation. That helps us capture something uh, closer to what the original word would mean. The church is fundamentally a people who congregate. Now, in one sense, the, the Bible uses the word church to refer to all of those who have heard the gospel uh, and, and have repented of their sin and trusted Christ for salvation from their sin. And this is what we call the universal church. Uh, all believers of all time, everywhere. Uh, we might also call it the big C church, church with a big C. But the big C church can't gather to do everything that the that the Bible says the church should do. So by God's design, this big C church is broken down into smaller scale versions all over the world in which believers can gather to do what the Bible commands the church to do. And these are what we call local churches, or churches with a small c, communities of believers in Jesus Christ who commit to one another. Now, these believers who commit to one another are what we call members, and their commitment to one another is what we call membership. 
So who is the church? Well, we would say that the church is those believers who have committed to one another. Or, to put it differently, the church is its members. So that's what we're talking about today, church membership. But why talk about church membership? My guess is that you probably didn't wake up today thinking, I sure hope today's sermon is about church membership. I get it. Membership may not seem like a very exciting topic. It might seem rather boring or trivial. I think that's partly because the concept of church membership is often misunderstood and, and marginalized. Um, it's, it's sometimes considered irrelevant or even unbiblical. But not only is church membership a biblical concept, I also think it's absolutely foundational to the way that we understand how we carry out the purpose of the church, how we live our life together as the church. And if we're ever going to have a good understanding of the nature and purpose of the local church, it's important for us to set a solid foundation in our understanding of the church's membership. So today we're going we're gonna to look first at an understanding of membership biblically, because it's often misunderstood, and then we're going to move and, and, and think uh, for a few moments about the, the call to take membership seriously, because it's often marginalized, all right? So understanding membership biblically and taking membership seriously. So first, we need to understand what the Bible says about membership, right? We don't want to impose things on Scripture and say, this is what we have to do. We want to draw our understanding out of Scripture. So we want to look to the Bible and say, what does the Bible teach about this? But before we look at what Scripture says membership is, we need to spend a moment talking about what it is not, because it's often misunderstood. See, when we hear the word membership, uh, today our minds may well assume we mean something analogous to, say, membership at Sam's Club, right? Think about it. You pay a membership fee, and then you're a member of the club. You get the privilege of being able to go in, go out. You get to flash your fancy membership card and go in and buy stuff by the pallet. You, you get all the benefits of being a member doesn't really matter if you know who any of the other members are. It doesn't really matter if you ever go. So, so this is how some people conceive of what we mean when we say church membership. But what we see with something like a membership at a Sam's Club or a different organization like that is there's really nothing in the way of commitment. It's entirely a relationship of convenience and consumption. But church membership is nothing like that. So we need to cut whatever link there is in our minds between that type of membership and what we mean by church membership. We need, we need to, to separate those things. The words might be the same, but they mean very different things. It's because when we talk about church membership, we're not talking about consumption or convenience. We're talking about commitment. To say that I am a member of this local church means I have an ongoing, recognized, mutual commitment to these specific believers and leaders in this specific 
congregation. Right? So, so it, as long as we, we keep in our mind that it's about commitment and it's not like the kind of membership that we see in other places in our world, I think we're going to be on, on safe ground. But what's the biblical basis for this, right? Does Scripture really teach this, that we, we ought to be members of a local church? Now, I would argue that the answer is yes, it does, especially when we consider what the New Testament teaches about the commitments that we have within the local church. And to demonstrate this, we're going to look briefly at two sets of biblical commitments that are explicitly commanded for Christians. And when we put these sets of commitments together and try to think through how they work in practice, we end up with what we call membership. Right? So the first set of commitments we're going to look at is the commitments that the Bible talks about between specific leaders and specific Christians. So look with me first at Hebrews 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, verse 17. The writer says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Now put aside for a moment any questions you have about what, what the writer means by these words, obey and submit. Lord willing, we'll be able to talk about that uh, later in our series as we talk about the church's leadership. But for now, what I want you to notice is that the writer is telling his audience that they have certain obligations to Christian leaders. However you understand what those words mean, they mean something. There's some obligation that these people have to Christian leaders. But to which Christian leaders are they obligated? Are, are they to obey and submit to all Christian leaders everywhere? Any Christian leader who has a public ministry platform or a podcast or a blog that they follow, that they like their teaching? Any leader of any church that they... Uh, that, that you ever set foot in? No. What does he say? He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. So there are specific leaders to whom Christians are instructed to submit their spiritual care and discipleship. Now, at the same time, these leaders are obligated to these Christians uh, specifically, in particular, it's they who keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. As a pastor, this is a very uh, relevant issue for me. For whose souls am I responsible? For whom will I give an account? Is it every person that I come into contact with? Is it every Christian that I meet? Is it every person who listens to something that I teach that is posted online? Is it every person who attends our gathering and, and participates in our programs? I think the, the answer based on this text is no. 
See, believers are to submit themselves to the spiritual care of the leaders who keep watch over their souls, and the leaders are to keep watch over the souls of those who submit themselves to their spiritual care. And these leaders and believers all know who the others are. I think that's the implication of what the writer of Hebrews is is saying here. So practically speaking, if we are going to be obedient to this command, then there must be some mechanism by which we as leaders can identify those for whom we are responsible. And on the other side of the coin, there must be some mechanism by which people know the leaders to whom they are instructed to submit their spiritual care. Now let's flip back to to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's where we'll be for the rest of our our time together. And uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says much the same thing of of what we've already seen in Hebrews 13. Here at the end of the letter, Paul is, is offering some general instructions for life in the church. And the immediate context is, is not talking specifically about the big C church, all Christians everywhere. He's talking to a specific local church, the church of the Thessalonians. That's who the letter's addressed to. So look with me at 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, verses 12 and 13. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So like Hebrews 13, these Thessalonian Christians are obligated to a specific group of of Christian leaders, right? They're, They're to appreciate and esteem highly in love Who? Well, it's not all Christian leaders everywhere, but specifically those who diligently labor among you, those who have charge over you and give instruction to you. That is, they're they're obligated to the leaders of the church in Thessalonica. Now, notice also that these leaders have obligations toward these specific Thessalonian Christians. They're to diligently labor among the Thessalonians. They're those who have charge in the Lord over the Thessalonians. They give instructions to the Thessalonians. They're not itinerant evangelists. They've been appointed as leaders in this specific church among these particular people. They have a responsibility to the Thessalonians that they do not have to other Christians in other places. And so based on passages like this, I think we can assert that that there is a biblical expectation uh, that there will be a mutual uh, and and exclusive commitment between specific leaders and specific Christians in a local church. So there's another set of commitments that we need to look at, and that's the commitments that specific Christians have with one another. Now, it doesn't take long reading the New Testament to to see that it is full of what we call these one another commands, things like love one another and pray pray for one another and so forth. And, And it might be easy to assume that when we read commands like that, they're just general statements about how we should treat others. 
Well, there's a sense in which we can read them that way, but I think there's something more significant about the way both Jesus and the apostles use this term, one another, uh, as, as a part of this command. And I think that's really important for this conversation. So look with me back at 1 Thessalonians 5, we're going to start in verse 11. Paul says, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. And then verse 13, live in peace with one another. Verse 15, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. So there we have several one another commands right in a row. And if Paul had wanted to give a, just a general command for how people ought to behave, he could have said, encourage others, build others up, live at peace with others, and so on. But the fact that he says, encourage one another, build up one another, live in peace with one another, gives these commands a flesh and blood reality. When the Thessalonians heard this, I think they would have immediately understood that one another meant their brothers and sisters in this local church. Think about it this way. If I were to stand here and, and tell you all that you should be encouraging others, you would have some leeway in how and with whom you were going to apply that command. But if I were to say, brothers and sisters, encourage one another, that has a more specific reference point. Right? You, you would understand that, that I'm speaking about your relationship with each other. I think that's what Paul's doing here. And I think this is further suggested by the fact that he draws a distinction in verse 15 between seeking after that which is good for one another and seeking after that which is good for all people. Now, the Thessalonians are supposed to do both, but he makes a distinction between what they do with one another and what they do with everyone else. Right? There is first and foremost some kind of exclusive mutual commitment that the Thessalonian Christians have to one another. So let's put it all together, right? We, we don't have a verse that says you must become a member of a local church. That's true. But we do see that the Bible expects specific leaders to be responsible to care for specific Christians, and those Christians are to place themselves under the care of specific leaders, and, and that these Christians are also expected to follow the one another commands of the New Testament with a specific group of Christians. And I think the fact that these commands are, are interlocking and embedded together in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we've just read means that we're to view them as, as referencing the same group in the same context, this local church to whom Paul is writing. So as, as all of these commitments uh, intersect and get worked out in practice, we end up with what we call membership a set of ongoing, recognized, mutual commitments that binds you to a particular local congregation of Christians and that congregation's leaders in a way that you are not bound and committed to others. 
That's, that's what we mean when we talk about biblical church membership. Now, if you don't like the term membership, that's fine. You can use a different term, but I challenge you to think through how you can apply the commands that we've seen in these passages, and I bet that just about whatever you come up with and whatever you call it, it's going to look and sound a lot like what I call membership. Now, with that as an outline for understanding the, the, the idea of membership biblically, now we want to think just, just briefly about our duty to take membership seriously, since for various reasons it's, it's often marginalized. So first, I, I want to say a few things to those of us who, who are members, right? I'm not just employed by the church. I'm not just a pastor. I'm also a member of this local church. So if, if like me, you are a member of the church, my, my exhortation to you in, in terms of taking membership seriously is don't let your membership simply be a piece of paper that you signed. This would be like letting your marriage simply consist of the marriage license that legally binds you together in the eyes of the state, but, but showing no real commitment for your spouse. So the reality is that there are some people who are not members who are, practically speaking, more committed to the congregation than some of the members. Membership, meaningful church membership, is to be a real living commitment to the rest of the congregation. When we become members, we enter a committed relationship with the other members, and they take responsibility for us, and we take responsibility for them because we need each other. So the question is, how is that going for you? I mean, consider the one another commands that we just read in 1 Thessalonians 5. How are you actively striving to encourage one another and build one another up? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that God has so composed the body, that is the church, that all the members may have the same care for one another. So what could you do this week that would demonstrate the kind of commitment and care that members of the body are called to have for one another? Who from the congregation could you call or text or email to check in on and build up in the faith? Who could you get together with for a cup of socially distanced coffee to inquire about how they're doing spiritually, to read Scripture, to pray together? Who do you see drifting that you could go after and encourage and exhort? If you're a member, this is part of your responsibility to the congregation. And if you're doing this already, thank you. I know many of you who are doing this regularly, and I've been really encouraged to hear about how people are, are doing this, how they're reaching out, they're encouraging one another, they're building one another up, they're doing exactly what the Bible says the church should be doing, even in the midst of this pandemic when nothing is normal and everything is hard. So now more than ever, we need to see what Paul says in Ephesians 4, that the whole body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, for those of you who, who are not members, uh, I, th I think there's, there's a different exhortation for you. Now, when I say this, I'm not talking about people who are visitors. Uh, I'm not talking about you. If you're not a member, you're just beginning to, to 
come to our church or to, to connect to our church in, in some way. You're just beginning to get to know us as a congregation. Right? I, I'm thinking about those who already call Riverstone Church their, their church home and they're not members. I think there's several reasons why you, you may not be members. One is that you may just think that membership is not biblical, and hopefully I've been able to show that membership is an indeed a, a, a biblical concept, and if I haven't, I'd be happy to talk to you more about it. I think there's a whole lot more that we could say about it. I'd be happy to talk to you about that. Some of you may not be members because you've just never been taught that membership is something that's biblical and important. You just have never known about it. You haven't been instructed in it. And so hopefully what we've, what we've done today will, will give you some things to think about and, and will, will spur you on to, to, uh, to take that step and become members as a biblical sign of commitment. Now, some of you aren't members, but you want to be. You just haven't had the opportunity to get to one of our membership classes. Now, I understand, especially right now, that's... Challenging. We were going to have one in the spring and obviously weren't, weren't able to. Um, our plan, however, is to offer a virtual membership service uh, at some point this fall. And uh, Lord willing, we're going to be able to tell you the dates for that uh, coming up, hopefully before the end of the series, if not sooner. So stay tuned uh, for that. But I think there's another group of people who, who don't commit to membership because they're comfortable being consumers rather than committers. So you want the freedom to consume what you want, when you want, and how you want, but you also want the freedom to shop around, to keep your options open in case something better comes along. At the same time, you may want to avoid the accountability that comes with church membership that comes with commitment, right? You want the benefit of this relationship, what the church can provide, but not the accompanying responsibility. To put it bluntly, you're content to cohabitate, but not to commit to marriage. You want the benefits without the commitment so that you can change your mind and jump ship at any time. I challenge you that this kind of uh, commitment-light consumer Christianity is totally foreign to the New Testament. It's more American than biblical, and that is not a good thing. I think there are some of you who need to, frankly, repent of your non-committal a la carte Christianity and intentionally commit yourself to the life of the local church as a member. And the bottom line is, if you consider Riverstone to be your church home and you're not a member, you should become a member. If you're committed to Riverstone, there's, there's no reason not to. And, and if for no other reason, do it for my sake and the sake of the other pastors and elders here at the church. I think there's lots of really good reasons to become a church member, but I also believe that in order for me to discharge my duty as a pastor faithfully, I need to know for whom I am responsible in the sight of God. So to become a member is an act of love toward me 
and the other leaders of this congregation so that we know that you intend to place your discipleship under our care and that you desire us to take responsibility for you. Now, if you feel like there is a reason that you cannot in good conscience become a member here at Riverstone, and please hear me say this with all gentleness and love, I'd encourage you to find a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, Jesus-exalting church where you can become a member, where you can submit to leadership, where you can publicly, recognizably make commitments to the members of that church. If it can't be with us, I want for the sake of your spiritual health for it to be somewhere. But whatever the situation, it's time to stop being a free agent Christian and to join a team. Now, there's, there's a final group I want to say a few words to as we wrap up today, and that's some of you who are, who are not members, but not only are you not members, you're also not Christians. You may be listening to this and think that the main thing that we're about is getting people to become church members. Well, we've been talking today about what the Bible has to say about how a local church is, is organized, and so that's a bit more of, a, of an in-house family discussion as a church. But, but I want to be really clear about this. No one comes into a relationship with God by becoming a member of a local church, right? The only people who become members of a local church are those who are first members of the Big C Church, those who are first believers in Jesus Christ. And you don't become a believer in Jesus Christ by joining a church any more than you become a believer by just showing up. Right? You become a believer in Jesus Christ when, as our church covenant says, by God's grace as a free gift, you are brought to repent and receive and rest upon Christ as He is offered to you in the gospel. To repent means to turn from your sin, to surrender the throne of your life to Christ, to allow Him to reign there, to reject allegiance to yourself or anything else, and to swear allegiance to Jesus. To receive Christ means to embrace Him as the only one who can save you and give you eternal life. And to rest on Christ means to trust Him and Him alone to bring you and to keep you in a right relationship with God. So joining a church does not make you right with God. But when you do become right with God through faith in Jesus Christ as the free gift of God, then you are added to His people, the Big C Church. And then Jesus calls you to commit yourself to a small C local church where alongside His people you can glorify God and make disciples of all nations. So that's who we are and that's why we're here. Will you join us? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you have, you have not left us to wade through 
this world on our own, that you have given us your spirit and that your spirit who indwells us has formed we who believe into a body, the church. We thank you that we have brothers and sisters to whom we can commit, uh, who, can, who can exhort us so that we may not become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, who can encourage us daily, whom we can pray for and love and admonish and instruct and watch over and who can do those things for us. God, I pray that, that we would see uh, more and more people become members of our church, but not because we want simply our, our roles to grow, because we want people to, to come to know Jesus and because we want people to understand what it means to be a part of His people. Oh God, will you make it so? In Jesus' name, amen.